would like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. Tonight we will look at uh, Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 42. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 38, beloved, before we hear God's word, if you would join your hearts together with me in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we think of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf stood condemned in our place that we might have life. We praise you with song, singing hallelujah, what a savior. We thank you for him, for his work. We thank you, O God, for the words of our savior given to us in holy scripture. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to our hearts this evening, that we might be changed by your voice, by the power of the gospel. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 38, beloved, this is the word of God. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. This is the word of God. Friends, as we consider this section, we should not forget what the Pharisees said when Jesus healed the demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute. They said he cast out demons by the prince of demons. That is what the Pharisees said. Jesus also said this about them. He said, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? We shouldn't forget this because here the Pharisees are now joined by the scribes, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him. So this group of so-called teachers of the law approach Jesus again, but they use a different tactic. They don't come out and try to slander him and claim that he's doing miracles by the prince of demons. They appear on the outside as respectful and gentle. They call Jesus teacher. Which is interesting because some of them had just said he was in league with the prince of demons. And so you can see here they're morphing into something else to try to get at Jesus in a different way. They also soften the request for a sign by saying, we wish to see. In other words, they don't demand a sign. And so again, on the outside, they appear gracious. They appear respectful even to Christ. The crowds are watching, after all. They're seeing all of this take place. But Jesus knew their true inner hearts. They say, we wish to see a sign from you, meaning we want to see something from you that is more clear to us than your miracles and your preaching. That's what that meant. As if the miracles and the truth that Jesus preached were not clear enough. 
But Jesus doesn't mince words, and he does not, he's not drawn into their attempts to honor their fake respect and their false graciousness. He doesn't give them any such thing. Instead, he immediately exposes their true inner disposition. He says, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. In effect, Jesus calls the Pharisees and the scribes and the majority of that generation of Jews, which for the most part, in Jesus' day, the majority of the, that, this generation of Jews that we're looking at in this gospel, they did not have faith. He calls their leaders and all those who do not believe, he calls them all an evil and he calls them all evil and adulterous. Meaning they were both morally corrupt, they were bad trees, and they were unfaithful to their God, like an adulterer is unfaithful. That is who they were. The unbelieving Jews, led by these scribes and Pharisees, were spiritually adulterous, whoring after idols and false gods. Now, Jesus can attach these scathing descriptors to this action, this this seemingly respectful request demanding a sign. Jesus attaches these very harsh criticisms to that thing because he knew that they did not really want a sign. The idea behind the question is this. If you, Jesus, show us a clear sign, then we will believe in you. But you haven't done that yet in their mind. But this wasn't true. It wasn't true what they were saying, the deal that they were trying to make. They did not want to believe. They were evil. They were adulterous. They did not want any such thing. Rather, they were attempting to place the guilt and the responsibility for their unbelief, their spiritual unfaithfulness. They were placing that guilt, that responsibility on Jesus. You haven't given us a sign. Give us a sign and we will believe. Until then, this is your fault, Jesus. Their thinking goes something like this. It's your fault, Jesus, we don't believe you and won't follow you because you have not given us a clear enough sign. But Jesus was not fooled. He immediately exposed their hypocrisy. Besides this, the signs he had already given were clear enough. The problem was not with the signs, but with their bad hearts. Jesus next does something that I think is incredible here. He gives the Pharisees and the scribes and the Jewish crowds, he actually gives them signs. He rebukes them at first, but then he gives them two signs, what they ask for. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. But the signs come from the Old Testament, which they already knew and they already possessed. And in regard to both of them, he says the Ninevites, which was the capital city capital city of Assyria in the ancient Near East. Assyria was a pagan, godless nation, and so Nineveh would be the height of that godlessness. It would be a symbol of utter pagan, rebellious, and sinful living. The Ninevites, capital city of Assyria, well known by the world, and especially the Jews, for their wickedness, their godliness, godlessness, For the most part, these Ninevites who repented at Jonah's preaching on the last day, they will stand next to the Jews. When Jesus comes again, those Ninevites from that previous generation, Jonah's preaching, and the Jews that were surrounding Jesus and their leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, they will all stand up on the last day. 
And they will be all placed before the judge of heaven and earth, the divine judge of souls. And so too will the queen of Sheba. She will be there on the last day. She's simply called the queen of the south here. She too was part of a godless nation. The ends, she came from the ends of the earth, a pagan nation. During the days of King Solomon, you can read about her in 1 Kings 10. The queen of Sheba had to travel from her kingdom from the south where she had heard about Solomon's wisdom, the king of Israel at the time. When she got there to Israel to see Solomon's wisdom and glory as the king of Israel, that wisdom and glory greatly exceeded her expectations. She had heard a lot from where she was from, but once she got there in person, she was even more overwhelmed by the glory and the riches that she saw and the wisdom that she heard from Solomon. And so she blessed him. She highly honored him, that is, King Solomon. She did not demand a sign once she arrived. She immediately received his wisdom with joy. That, is what, that, is what, that was the response of the Queen of the South. And she traveled from afar to do so. And so that queen, the queen of Sheba, will stand next to the Jews of Jesus' day and the Ninevites of Jonah's day. They will all stand up together the last day on the day of resurrection. Who will be justified before God? Who will be accepted? Who will be condemned? Not all of them. Who then? Jesus says clearly here, the repentant Ninevites who repented of their sin after hearing Jonah's preaching... And the queen of Sheba, who bowed herself in deep humility before Solomon, they will be accepted. Not even you, the sons of Abraham. But the unbelieving Jews, of course, will not. The unbelieving Pharisees and the scribes and the Jews of that generation, they will be condemned by God. They will be condemned by God and his true followers, his adopted children, will participate on some level in that condemnation. Verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up with this generation of Jews and condemn it. And so the the Ninevites who repented will be on the judging side. They will be on the side of the judge of heaven and earth, participating in the condemnation of the unbelieving Jews that were Looking at here, they will be condemned. The queen of Sheba will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. And so we have the prophet Jonah, which, of course, you can read about in the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, if you read there, you'll find out that Jonah was swallowed by a huge fish. He was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, as Jesus says here. Until the fish coughed him up on the shores of Nineveh, Syria. He then began to preach God's judgment against the Ninevites. He began to preach that God's judgment was coming upon them if they did not repent. The Ninevites of that generation heard that preaching. And in response to Jonah's preaching, what did they do? They repented in sackcloth and ashes. They repented and the Lord forgave them. He withheld his judgment. They responded to the prophet's preaching with repentance, humility. They bowed themselves in humility before 
the awesome power of the word of God, and they were forgiven. Then you have the Queen of Sheba, King Solomon, whose glory compelled the Queen of Sheba, the queen of a pagan Gentile nation, the south, which was south of Israel, queen of the south, had compelled her to travel to Israel. She had merely heard of Solomon's wisdom. This wisdom that she just heard about caused her to pack up her things, leave the comfort of her nation, her kingdom, and travel to Israel and to Solomon to hear and to receive his wisdom in person. And once she did that, once she showed up at the doorsteps of Solomon's kingdom and to see Solomon's wisdom and to see the riches that he possessed, she honored him. She lavished upon him gifts and praises. She was overwhelmed with the reality of the weight of Solomon's wisdom and power and glory. And she was a queen, queen of a godless nation. And so Jonah and Solomon, Jonah's preaching, Solomon's wisdom, both the preaching of Jonah confirmed by his three-night stay in the belly of the sea monster and then living to tell about it. So his preaching was confirmed by his survival of that uh, incredible experience in the belly of a fish. And then you have the wisdom of Solomon confirmed by his ability to speak authoritatively about all sorts of subjects. He had the ability to speak authoritatively into all sorts of things, animals and literature, what, whatever it was. He could speak with an, a, a deep wisdom to all of these things. But also his wisdom was confirmed by his riches, his kingdom, this incredible, vast, glorious kingdom that was at his disposal at the time. And his possessions. Jesus says both of these, Jesus says about both of them. Jonah came out of the the great fish and preached, and then Solomon, who had all this wisdom and possessions, Jesus says about both of them, something greater is here. He, of course, was speaking about himself. Solomon's matchless and seemingly limitless wisdom, his riches, his kingdom, his power, his possessions, they were greatly surpassed by the infinite wisdom of Jesus. They were greatly surpassed by the riches and the power and the glory of Christ's kingdom, even Solomon's riches, which for Israel, that was the height of glory. He had it all. And yet Jesus says something greater than that is here. Someone who has an even greater kingdom, a more vast kingdom, even greater possessions. And so that is what we see in Jesus. The riches and the eternal power that are seen in the glory of King Jesus greatly surpass that of Solomon. And yet despite all of this, the greatness and the glory of Jesus, his wisdom, his preaching, his power... What was the response of those who were there to hear him, to see him in person like Queen Sheba, the Queen of Sheba was there in person to see Solomon? What was the response of the Jews, Christ's own people, to see him there? Well, it was hardness of heart. They did not believe. They asked for a sign. (laughs) They asked for something else. Therefore, their unbelief 
friends, as we see here, would receive a greater punishment. This generation of Jews had Jonah, they had Solomon, and now they have Jesus right in front of them, and they did not and they would not believe. Now these words from Jesus about Jonah and Solomon, they show us that something of the essence of the gospel and something of the glory of Jesus Christ is present in the Old Testament. It is there. The essence of the gospel is a living, active thing in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament stories, in the Old Testament poetry, Old Testament songs. It is there. His, the shadow of Christ crucified and raised is already present in the Old Testament, even apart from the New Testament, even before Jesus had come. His mercy, his grace was already seen in shadowy form in the Old Testament. The Jews had the Old Testament, and so they should have known. And so we we see this most clearly in verse 40. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now the heart of the earth is a reference to the grave. Men die and their bodies go to the heart of the earth because of the wages of sin. Jesus, though he never sinned, he would die and his body would be buried in the heart of the earth to save us from our sin. And so Christians die Our bodies go to the earth, but only for a time. Death for us is is an entrance into glory. It's merely a passageway into a a better existence. And then once Jesus comes again, our bodies will be taken from those graves. And we will be raised to be with him forever. But Jesus, that happens for us because Jesus Jesus' own body went to the heart of the earth for a time to save us from our sin. Now, the unbelieving Jews hearing this would have had no idea what he was really talking about because they did not believe. What does this talk about being three days and three nights in the heart of the earth? They wouldn't have any clue what he was talking about because of their hardness of heart. But we can see that Jesus here is slowly beginning to disclose to his hearers the true nature of his ministry. He's revealing his coming death something that he didn't do very clearly in the, in the beginning of his ministry. But he begins to disclose that here, to show his hearers what he was truly there to do, and that was to die. And so Jesus would go to the grave, but only for a time, three days, three nights, just as Jonah was in the heart of the fish. He, of course, borrows the language and the description of Jonah's experience. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, just as Jonah essentially rose from the dead after, uh, in a way, dying in the belly of the fish, going under the sea. So the death and the resurrection of Christ, the Son of Man, that is the sign that is announced in preaching. That is the sign that the world has been given to call it to repentance, to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. There's no need for a clearer sign. Christ has been raised And now the church calls the world to repentance. And so again, the death and the resurrection of Christ was foreshadowed. It was typified in what happened to Jonah. Written down in the Old Testament and given to the Jews. They already had it. And so Jonah in the belly of the fish, of course vomited up three days later, he experienced a kind of death and resurrection. Did he not? In fact, if you look at his song, his his words in in the book of Jonah, much of that language is 
taken from the Psalms, or at least echoed in the Psalms, and it speaks of dying, of dying and being raised. And so that is what the Jews were in possession of, words from prophets like Jonah and the, old, the rest of the Old Testament. And because the death and resurrection of the Messiah was already taught and revealed to the Jews in the Old Testament scriptures, like Jonah, Jesus says in verse, 30, verse 39, no sign will be given to this generation. No sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. You already have what you're looking for. The problem is not in the signs. The problem is in your heart. You are an evil and adulterous generation. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. I've given you my word. I've given you the Old Testament scriptures. The sign has been given to you. What Jesus was essentially saying is this. The power of the gospel and the infinite mercy of God has already been given to you in the scriptures of the Old Testament, and in particular, the prophet Jonah. You already have it. Apart from the Messiah standing here in the flesh and performing miracles right in front of you, preaching with divine authority, you should have repented already. That's what Jesus was saying. You should have already bowed down in humility, like the Queen of Sheba, the Queen of the South, Queen Sheba, the Queen of the South, like the Ninevites. You should have repented already from the account of Jonah's experience alone, but you did not and you will not. But now that the Messiah is here, now that something greater is here, Jesus was saying, your unbelief will be judged with greater harshness. You will be condemned. And those that you seem to present yourselves as superior to, the Gentiles, like this queen I've spoken of and the Ninevites, they will condemn you. The Jews pretended to want a more clear sign so that they might believe Jesus and his words. What was really made clear by this very question was their unbelief. That is what was clear. They did not believe and they would not believe. They did not want to believe. And Jesus exposes that very thing with his response. Now, friends, it's the same for us. It's the same for the people in this world. We have no excuse not to believe. The Son of Man has come. He died. He was in the belly of the earth for a time, but was powerfully raised on the third day. That's the sign that this world has been given. And so repent and believe. To Christ be all praise and glory now and forevermore.